0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four,
1: three, two, one, two,
0: ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part
1: of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, Chief Washington Correspondent, CBS News, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where, dear listeners on podcast platforms, viewers on CBSN, and our listeners on nearly 60 radio stations around the country, you know the show is two things each and every week. What are those two things? One, relentlessly curious. Two, steadfastly non-ideological. Every point of view is welcome here. We take our guests seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. This is a conversation, not an interrogation. Always, always built around a meal. Why? Because meals change the way people talk to each other, and that's one of the reasons this show exists. Our guest this week, Steve Scalise, representing the 1st District of the great state of Louisiana. He also happens to be the second most powerful House Republican. He is the House Minority Whip. Steve Scalise, great to see you.
2: Major, great to be with
1: you. Thank you for joining us. We're at Matchbox. Restaurant we haven't been to before. It's got pizza, burgers, other stuff on the menu. We'll get to lunch here in just a second. We're delighted to be here. We thank them for their hospitality. Can I call you Steve? Steve
2: is great. Great. Yes. So, Steve, Major. I,
1: first, yes, please. So, let me just ask you how is your health? How has the rehabilitation gone? Are there any lingering issues from the shooting of 2017?
2: Um, thanks for asking. Uh, no, my health is great. Uh, I still do physical therapy about twice a week, and I had to relearn how to walk again. Uh, you know, just kind of reestablishing balance, just basic things you take for granted, standing up without falling over. I uh, had to work on all of that. But, um, you know, in 2019, my my New Year's resolution was to end 2019 without having to use crutches anymore. Okay, And uh, starting in January this year, I dropped the crutches and it's been working so I can walk without crutches, uh, keep getting better all the time. I've, I've, I'm truly blessed.
1: And for anyone who's gone through physical therapy, it sounds light, but sometimes it is really difficult. It is a hard process. And you have to really work at it. You've got to be committed to it.
2: Yeah, their, their job is to push you to your limit. You, you know, my job is to, to go in there wanting to, you know, kind of get beaten up and, you know, and bruised to the point where you are getting better. And, you know, whatever you need to get better at, you know, for me, it's building strength back up. Yes. Especially in the left side of my body, that's where the bullet went in. And so I've still got some lingering, you know, muscle fatigue that it just doesn't build back as fast. Uh, I've got some nerve damage that might be permanent in my left foot. Uh, but at least on all the things that I can get better at, it's, it's working. And so, you know, being able to walk without crutches is great. I'd love to be able to run one day, but I'm not quite there yet. Understood. Uh, but, hey, look, we just keep getting better every day. This
1: is a mild digression, but uh, you and I are almost the same age. I was born in 62. You were born a couple years later than that. I have noticed just mentally as I've gotten older, I have this awareness of balance and being afraid to fall, which has nothing to do with being injured. I'm not injured. But I think as you get older, you begin to worry about that. Just subconsciously, it creeps in. You've had this injury. You've had this gunshot wound. And the idea of stability is now crucial in your life. Do you think about that even more?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, again, you take so much for granted of what you do every day. You know, if you, hey, you know, I'm going to stand up and just take a leap over there. You can't do that. You can't. And so just being able to stand up without falling over was tough. And and so you had to learn balance again. And then just even... give yourself benchmarks. You know, Yeah bending down or leaning over to get something without falling over i couldn't do that a year ago i can do that today and so you know you don't see it's not like day to day you see major improvements but you do see improvements over a few weeks where wow i couldn't do that just two or three weeks ago and and that's you know great testament to my physical therapist katie does a great job she you know she's tough tough but fair right (laughs) kind of like you major tough but fair but no it's it really is you'll want to walk out of there going wow i'm wiped out right uh, because that's how you know you're getting better Do
1: you, looking back on that event, consider yourself a victim of some kind of ideological extremism?
2: Um, You know, I I really don't look at it that way. I don't want to be a victim. I I consider myself lucky to be alive. I know there were miracles that happened on that ball field that day. Uh, If you look at it on paper and say what happened, the guy shows up, deranged lunatic, uh, you know, whatever his intentions were, that's, you know, that's not something I want to focus on, but his intention was killing every Republican on that ball field. And he would have been successful if not for the heroes and the miracles. And look, Capitol Police, Mm -hmm. uh, I I always had great respect for law enforcement. But if it wasn't for David Bailey and Crystal Greiner, the two Capitol Police detail officers who were with me that day, I wouldn't be here. And a lot of my colleagues wouldn't be here because uh, he would have been successful. And they both got shot in the shootout Mm -hmm. and still kept going at it and ultimately took the shooter down. And so... You know, I think about that. I think about how lucky I am. Uh, you know, people like Brad Wenstrup, if he wasn't on that ball field with me Member day. Member of Congress. Congressman from Ohio who's a medical doctor. Yes. And who was a combat surgeon in Iraq. And his experiences in Iraq uh, to, to deal with similar kind of gunshot wounds and get people to to the hospital safely. That was his job. He put a tourniquet on me that my trauma surgeon said I wouldn't have made it to the hospital. I didn't have minutes to live. I had maybe a minute to live when I showed up at the emergency room. Uh, almost almost dead and, and a few times that night he said I almost didn't make it through uh, so that the, you know there's the people the heroes that helped me get here uh, that's what I think about and, and how lucky I am to be able to see my young kids every night why
1: filter out away from that experience the motivation behind the shooter
2: because it doesn't matter to me I mean you know nobody has an excuse to do that political violence is not acceptable no matter who you are Republican or Democrat We settle our differences in America at the ballot box. And and I'm not going to sit here and go, well, you know, if only this happened or that happened, or why did he do it? There's no reason for anybody doing it. Mm -hmm. And and so I I really don't want to focus on that because, frankly, it doesn't help me get better. I I had to put all of my energy, especially in those first few months. I was in the hospital for three and a half months. I had to put every ounce of my energy at getting better. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to learn how to walk again. Do you have
1: any anxiety that the politically toxic environment in our country is sowing the seeds for more violence? I worry Chris, about The reason I asked about that, this week, Christopher Wray, the FBI director, testified to Congress that he has elevated racially motivated and other violent extremism of an ideological nature to a national threat
2: priority equal to ISIS. I, I worry about it, and, and I call it out wherever I see it on both sides. You know, if, if you see somebody inciting violence, you ought to speak out against it because there's no excuse for that. And so you know, whether it's on the rise or not, you know, clearly there are still threats that, that I get and other colleagues of mine get death threats. And, you know, it's a shame, but, uh, you know, we we ought to take them all serious and, and hopefully uh, speak out against it so that people recognize you can have disagreements with people politically. It's what makes our country great. You have a First Amendment right as a reporter. Individuals have that right. But the right doesn't extend to threatening violence or carrying out Uh, your differences in a violent way. At the
1: top of this program, I mentioned lots of different political points of view are welcome at this show. Go back to the archives, you'll see that some people on the show, congressmen, have said the president, through his rhetoric, intentionally or not, aggravates this situation we're talking about. Agree or disagree?
2: I disagree with that. And, you know, look, uh, on the right, you don't see people going and trying to to kill other people. And I'm not saying it's something that the left owns either, but I, I, I am a little disappointed when I don't see both sides speaking out against political violence. If somebody tries to target somebody with violence based on their political views we all should be able to speak out against that.
1: Uniformly and resolutely.
2: Uniformly and resolutely.
1: So let me ask you a little bit about the post State of the Union atmosphere. State of the Union is a speech unto itself but there was a post speech moment that is getting a lot of attention. The Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi quite visibly with what appears to be full intention tore up the President's speech. Your reaction?
2: I thought it was disgraceful. It's unbecoming of a speaker. Uh, And look, we were in the majority when Barack Obama was president. We had a lot of disagreements with him politically. We had disagreements with some of the things he said in his State of the Union addresses. We sat down for those things. We didn't, you know, rip up the speech or try to act out. When what, we agreed with person, him, by the way, we would step up. One person said you lie. Yeah, and you know, Joe Wilson, I was sitting maybe six people away from Joe. Joe walked out immediately and went and called the White House to apologize to the president, to his credit. Mm-hmm. Um, Rahm Emanuel was there. The president hadn't returned back from the White House. But Ramos, chief of staff, and Joe apologized personally to Ram uh, and asked him to pass that on to the president, and Ram accepted the apology. And Joe did the right thing by apologizing. Frankly, Speaker Pelosi should apologize as well because it's not the the image she should want to portray as the Speaker of the House. We're
1: having lunch, and we need to get that order. So uh, Tina is our wonderful server. Hello, Tina. Uh, please take Steve Scalise's order first, and then come to me.
2: Right. Yeah, well, uh, look, we're at a, a great restaurant that has great cheeseburgers here, so I'll... Uh,
0: so we have the all-American burger.
2: Um, that you want the all-American you gotta burger. Got to go with the all-American burger. <laughs> All-American. So, uh, okay. you know, no, no pickles, no onions. Okay. We also have a barbecue bacon burger if you're interested in
0: that.
2: There we go. Barbecue bacon cheddar cheese. Barbecue
0: bacon cheddar cheese. You got cheese. it. Throw a little mayonnaise on
2: there too, please. Uh, medium. Medium. Thank you.
0: Sure.
1: And Tyne, I'll have the uh, fried chicken cob, please. The salad, but no, uh, no eggs. But if you could throw some of those candied pecans in there, that'd be great. Ooh. Okay, no way. Excellent. Thanks so much. The major,
2: they got these great onion strings, right? These you, want, you want one <laughs> of those for <from> the table? <laughs> sure.
1: Onion strings for the table. Okay. There we go. That'll be great. Uh, we get. We've ordered lunch. We're segment one is over. Steve Scalise is our guest. We're back in just a
0: second.
1: Welcome back. I'm Major Gert. We're at Matchbox. We've just put in our order for lunch. Steve Scalise is our special guest. He is the second most powerful Republican in the House of Representatives. We were talking as we went into break about Speaker Pelosi tearing up the President's State of the Union address. I want to read to you something Congresswoman United might not have seen, but this morning, Jerry Nadler, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, was asked about this. I want to read the direct quote. I was delighted. It was the least she could do. I mean, the speech was
2: lie after lie, not a word of truth in it. Your reaction? Again, disgraceful. Okay, so what is the lie about this young girl who now is going to have an opportunity to get her shot at the American Dream because she's going to get an opportunity scholarship? Or, or that soldier that is announced surprises his wife and kids coming home after four deployments. Everybody's tearing up. I mean, I guess Jerry Nadler wasn't. You know, Did he think that was a lie? The Tuskegee Airman who, who the president just... Made a general uh, look, Rush Limbaugh. Who, whether you agree with or, or disagree with the guy, I love what Rush represents. But millions of people are inspired by him, and now he's battling cancer, and the president pays tribute to his battle with cancer. And they can't stand up for any of those things. I mean, uh, is what is, 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 does that is,
1: say about our state of politics?
2: Well, I think it says a lot about where the Democrat Party in Washington is. That's not where Democrats are across the country. Look, I'm, I'm from the state of Louisiana, where the Blue Dogs started. There are still Democrats who have those same conservative values that a conservative democrat just won
1: re-election as
2: governor right and and so it shows not all of america is so hyper-partisan in their hatred of the president and the results of the 2016 election that they carry it to a level where they won't even stand when the president applauds the success of you know the lowest unemployment amongst african americans and hispanics in the history of our country everybody should have stood for that i guess jerry nadler's not happy about that he can't deny it's a fact Uh, These economic numbers we're seeing, Major, we have the hottest economy in the world right now. The USMCA trade deal, uh, Jerry Nadler voted for that. Is that a lie that he voted for? I mean, what, what is wrong with these people that they want to deny facts and what's good about the country? If they can't applaud the killing of a terrorist, Soleimani, does Jerry Nadler really think it's a lie that Soleimani killed hundreds of Americans? Our servicemen and women who shed their blood because of him and he was in, in Iraq plotting to kill more Americans. Does Jerry Nadler really think it's a lie that Soleimani killed those people? And the, the mother and father of that woman that uh, al-Baghdadi killed literally raped and killed this woman. And al-Baghdadi's taken out, and Jerry Nadler won't stand for that, and he wants to call that a lie. He owes an apology to the family of those victims who were the victims of these evil terrorists who are now dead because of President Trump's actions.
1: Back to Speaker Pelosi. Jonathan Turley, who happens to be a uh, law professor, he was the one Republican uh, witness called before the House Judiciary Committee in the impeachment process, has a column today saying the
2: Speaker should resign over this. Agree, disagree? Um, I, I think she, at a minimum, owes a deep apology to the president and the country, a more importantly. A public apology. Uh, at a minimum, she can't bring herself to that. Uh, she represents the whole institution of the House and, and what, what Congress represents as the people's house. That That is not where this country is. Frankly, is there one swing House district in this country that's going to be up for grabs that Nancy Pelosi can go into to help her... Uh, Incumbent Democrats who are probably going to get beat because of the way they've carried themselves is now the party of impeachment, uh, the party of disrespect for the office of president of the United States. Uh, You know, is is anybody going to welcome her into their district now? That's a swing district.
1: Speaking of that, let's cut to that, Chase, since you teed me up for that. Will House Republicans regain the majority in this 2020 election cycle? I think we
2: will. Uh, I think President Trump will get reelected. Is that a hardcore prediction? Yes. It's a hardcore prediction. Uh, You know, look when you go to other parts of the country and i get to travel to a lot of places you know my role as republican whip you're going to a lot of these swing districts in swing states and whether you're going to pennsylvania or minnesota or florida or ohio uh there is a lot of support for the president amongst people who didn't vote for him in 2016 they like what he's doing he's delivering results you can May see not the like results. him personally but their but like wages the results. are up their 401ks up again does Jerry Nadler disagree with any of that? Those are real things happening to real families who were left behind. And by the way, a lot of these are people who weren't voting for Republicans or Democrats. Weren't voting they just at all. They just given up. They, they had given they up voting because Washington left them behind. I think that's the disconnect that, that the Pelosi's and the Nadler's of the world don't get is that there were people who gave up on both parties because Washington stopped working for them. And now all of a sudden they're seeing real opportunities in their life. They're getting a chance to, to have the American dream again. Our middle class is coming back to America. That's so a the, good thing.
1: Those 31 districts that are regarded and called frontline districts by the Democrats. 30 word, now after Jeff Andrews went right, party. That's so right, we got 30. 30 uh, that's that their Trump word, won. not mine. That's, uh, right. So the, those are Trump districts in 2016 that flipped to house democrats in 2018 how many of those do you predict republicans will win back
2: obviously we need to flip 20 to get the house back i and think you're, you're, i, think we're, we're, I think we're in strong shape to win uh, the vast majority of those and oh by the way there's at least a dozen more seats beyond that uh, that are very competitive if not 50 50 districts
1: so the range for republicans could go as high as 32 absolutely if i hear you correctly. Uh, think
2: about this we lost a majority of the seats that we lost we lost a lot of seats when we lost the majority two years ago A majority of those were 51-49 races Mm -hmm. with 8 million fewer voters in 2018 than 2016. There were a lot of Trump voters who didn't show up in 2018. They're coming back. I can tell you, uh, not only are the Trump voters going to show up, but a lot of people that voted Democrat, I think, are going to be voting for Donald Trump because he's delivered for him.
1: This is implied in your answer, but I want to have you speak to it directly. President Trump wins re-election?
2: Yes. By a larger electoral margin than before? I think that's very well possible, including a state like Minnesota that, that... we came short on that. I think uh, I think we could win because does Donald Trump done. win the popular vote? It's possible. Uh, you know, the the popular vote's a different situation. But look, it's possible. You know, he didn't he didn't spend a lot of time in some of those states that weren't going to go his way. But if he went and spent time out there, he'll get a lot more votes. And uh, and he could win the popular vote. But ultimately, it's like uh, it's like the Super Bowl. You don't get the trophy for getting more yards than the other team. You, you get the trophy for getting more points. Precisely. And so ultimately, that's got to be your main focus, is getting more electoral votes and then continuing to do your job. And one thing, with all the distractions in Washington, President Trump has never lost focus on his main objective of carrying out the things that he ran on. And, uh, you know, w- whether you agree or disagree, Uh, Somebody running for office and then doing the things they promised is something we should all at least respect. So I want to
1: turn our attention for a moment to impeachment and read to you a couple of comments of recent vintage from some Senate Republicans who are voting to acquit the president, but in so doing said the following. Lisa Murkowski, Republican from Alaska. The president's behavior, I quote directly, shameful and wrong. She said degrading the office by actions or name calling is something that should be avoided, and she implied the president has done both lamar alexander republican from tennessee president's conduct wrong inappropriate crossing the line improper agree or disagree
2: i mean i don't agree with those assessments but again that's their opinion that's not why you have impeachment impeachment was put in the constitution for a very specific reason high crimes and misdemeanors and our founders talked about this it's not just for uh, some random crime it's because the president went so far above and beyond uh, what they should have done this never—they never started with a crime. The other three impeachments all started with a crime, yet Pelosi looking for a crime—a
1: definable crime, at least in the federal—a definable
2: code. crime. But at the end of the day. Uh, I read the transcript of the the <laughs> Zelensky phone call. I mean, here you had a president of Ukraine getting elected on a platform of rooting out corruption, thanking President Trump, starting off thanking him for selling Javelin missiles so he could stand up to Russia when Obama and Biden would not sell those same missiles to help Ukraine stand up to, to Russia, uh, talking about other things they're working on and cleaning up corruption mm-hmm. in Ukraine, which everybody knew there was. So, so, you know, like so there was there was never a by the way, there was never a link between uh, aid and investigations. And so that was the heart of their their first charge of impeachment. The other is obstruction of Congress. Exerting executive authority is something every president since George Washington did. Would Jerry Nadler vote to impeach George Washington because he did the same thing that President Trump has done in exerting executive privilege? You fight that out in the courts, but you don't impeach a president because he says, I'm going to do what every other president has done at fighting for my rights in Article 2 just like we have rights in Article 1. You resolve it with Article 3, the judicial branch.
1: In your voice Steve Scalise, nothing shameful or wrong about the President's conduct in this matter? No. I mean look. Nothing.
2: Zelensky thanked President Trump for the help that he's given him. Nothing wrong, inappropriate. Those were the two people who really were the participants in the call and both of them thought it was a good call. Uh, So what what is somebody else's opinion who wished Donald Trump shouldn't have gotten elected think? So nothing wrong, inappropriate or improper? No. Look, the President's done his job. All perfect. The president's done his job, and, uh, and it's not an impeachable offense to carry out a different foreign policy than maybe Nancy Pelosi would have carried out. A
1: moment ago, you mentioned uh, favorably moderate or centrist Democrats. I think Doug Jones uh, might fall into that category. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, he said uh, this week that the evidence clearly proves the president used the weight of his office and that of the U.S. government to seek to coerce a foreign government to interfere in the election.
2: Uh, is he talking about Barack Obama, Obama and Joe Biden when they let Russia interfere with our elections in 2016, or at least try to? Look, uh, what Doug Jones was talking about uh, was trying to find a way to explain a yes vote, which I think is the wrong vote. Uh, they, the president never used his way to the office. And again, listen to President Zelensky. Zelensky said he was never pressured. The foreign minister of Ukraine said they got the money and they were never pressured. So maybe Doug Jones is feeling pressure back home in Alabama, uh, but Zelensky, who was the only other participant in the call, said he wasn't pressured. Shouldn't that mean something and carry some weight? That's the voice of Steve Scalise,
1: our special guest. Stay tuned for segment three of the ch- of the takeout. We're at Matchbox. Lunch is on the. Way.
0: CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
1: Welcome back. Thanks for being with us here at The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. Again, we're at Matchbox, a great restaurant. We appreciate their hospitality. Lunch is on the way. Steve Scalise, and a House Minority Whip, is our special guest. I want to play for you something, uh, Steve, Congressman whip steve is good steve is good um as i mentioned at the top of the show we have lots of different voices and ideological perspectives on this program november 15th we had jamie raskin who's a member of the house of representatives on the democratic side serves on the judiciary committee i want to listen to his take this will be the last talk about impeachment we're going to get on to other issues but i want you to address this statement from jamie raskin and then we'll move on Uh, that's number three sarah
2: Well, if their argument is that um, in the final analysis, the investigations were not launched, uh, despite every best effort by the president and Giuliani and their henchmen, um, and the money was ultimately released, that's essentially a confession. They're, They're like someone who's robbing a bank, who's got two big bags of money, is about to leave... The bank, and then the security guards pounce on the person, and the, and they dust themselves off and say, oh, well, all's well that ends well, uh, no money was taken out of this bank, nothing was ever converted. I mean, they're basically conceding that there was a clear attempt um, to shake down a foreign government and to uh, obtain this political dirt on an opponent, and so on. They're basically admitting it. Your
1: reaction, Steve's Scalise?
2: Well, for him to use the term shakedown, uh, again, go ask... President Zelensky, he was the other person on the call. If the bank was never robbed, uh, then how do you arrest somebody for robbing the bank? Uh, president Trump never pressured them into it. In fact, Zelensky himself said, I never felt any pressure to do anything. And by the way, I didn't do the thing that y'all are saying the president made me do. Uh, they never did the investigation. Uh, and so uh, ultimately, Ukraine got the money. By the way, Ukraine got the money prior to the legal deadline for when it was supposed to be done. I never saw Democrats that are all of a sudden expressing this outrage, expressing outrage when Barack Obama wouldn't give that money in aid to Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden was vice president. And look, gets back to the real quid pro quo. Joe Biden's the one who bragged saying he did go to Ukraine and said, I'm going to leave in six hours with the billion dollars of your money, my money, taxpayer money, unless y'all fire the prosecutor that's looking into and investigating his son. And then he bragged and said, and they fired the guy. I mean, he used explicit language, but uh, the fact is. Joe Biden is the one who said and shook down Ukraine and said, I'm leaving with the billion dollars unless you fire the guy. And so Ukraine fired the guy. That was the real crime. Uh, I don't hear him talking about going and prosecuting Joe Biden.
1: When you say crime, you mean what kind? of You don't mean a crime crime.
2: I mean, that was a quid pro quo. Uh, that was absolutely one. There wasn't one in the case of Donald Trump. You know, again, they've, they they go back to the Mueller investigation. They really thought the Mueller investigation was going to find some kind of link between a collusion and Russia. Never happened. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff the Democrats did, the Steele dossier. There was real concern about what happened in some of our intelligence agencies. You had FBI agents and some other uh, folks in intelligence agencies about that on this abusing program. their power, and that ought to be investigated. We've talked about that. I believe in those agencies. I think they need to work well to secure our country. Uh, you shouldn't be carrying out your political agenda when you have a badge. And so I'm concerned that that still needs to be rooted out. But at the end of the day, again, uh, you go and look at what their claim was. It didn't happen, and you can ask the people that they claimed it happened to. If said, you know, again, go back to the bank robbery analogy. If the people at the bank said nobody came and tried to rob the bank, why are you going to put somebody in jail for doing it? Over 50 Democrats voted to impeach Donald Trump for criticizing NFL players who kneeled during the national anthem. Over 50 Democrats voted to take out a president for that. Now, m- make them answer for that. You know, is that a crime now? just disagreeing with a person on their politics we have elections to resolve this major and believe me a lot of people are going to be showing up at the polls more than in iowa in the democrat primary by the we'll way we'll get to that know. in a second yeah i'm sure we will so
1: we're going to very soon meaning this week get to the other side of this saga meaning impeachment i want to play for you sarah this is signed by number six from the president's super bowl interview with sean hannity about what comes after this what's the atmosphere go ahead and play that sarah
0: well, I'd like to, but it's uh, pretty hard when you think about it because uh, it's been uh, such. I use the word witch hunt. I use the word hoax. Uh, I see the hatred. I see the the level. They don't care about fairness. They don't care about lying. You look at the lies. You look at the um, you look at the reports that were done that were so false. The the, uh, the the level of hypocrisy. So I'm not sure that they can do it. To be honest, I think they just want to win. And it doesn't matter how they win. And
1: the question was, can there be any cooperation between this White House, Speaker Pelosi, and the minority leader in the Senate, Charles Schumer? So, I'm just going to lay this before you, Steve Scalise. What is the atmosphere after impeachment? Is there any prospect of issues, prescription drugs, infrastructure, dealing with health care, and the like, that can be accomplished this year?
2: I'm an eternal optimist That's a no from the president. But if you listen to last night, the president did offer a number of those opportunities. And we can get some things done if you look at USMCA. I was at the White House last week for the signing of the the new trade deal, new NAFTA with uh, Mexico and And Canada. And some concessions were made to Democrats to get their votes. The president worked really closely. Ambassador Lighthizer did a great job. His whole team worked closely with Democrats. Speaker Pelosi uh, ultimately worked with the president to get that done. And that's a major win for American workers, making our country more competitive. So that's one example of something that did yeah, get done. Yeah, but that's already happened. I'm the talking president about talked future. talked last thing. night about, I'll give you a good example, the president talked about lowering prescription drug prices. I worked really hard as, as the Republican whip working in the Energy and Commerce Committee to put a coalition of Republican and Democrats together. We came up with a package of bills that would lower drug prices, and it came out unanimously. And I know that doesn't get a lot of attention because... People think everything is partisan in Washington, where every Democrat and every Republican on the committee jurisdiction voted for a package of bills to lower drug prices, including right now a generic company uh, can be paid by the drug manufacturer not to make the generic drug. And so you don't see enough generic drugs coming to the market because the big drug company is paying the generic not to make the generic drug company. We make that illegal. Uh, so you would bring more prescription What's drugs to the market What's going to happen with that in quicker. the Senate? It hasn't come up in the House. I would like to see that package of bills, again, that came out of committee unanimously, come to the floor. It would pass unanimously. The president would sign the bill. That's the kind it would have of thing that we can Senate. still get done. And I have no doubt it would pass through the Senate unanimously okay. as well because, again, these are things that were worked out between Republicans and Democrats over months. And infrastructure is a very similar uh, is a very similar issue that we can work together on. It might have, not be the same to agree level on the of funding. the price and the funding. And so let, let's say... You had a $200 billion infrastructure package, fully paid for, which could be very bipartisan with the reforms, by the way, that help projects get done. Right now, a road project or a bridge project might take 10 years to build because of so many overlapping regulations if you reform that process so it can get done in two years instead of 10 dramatically lowers the cost make a lot more projects happen uh, and again where you have republicans and democrats that have a real interest mm-hmm. in getting this done on the transportation committee i'd like to see that happen i hope it happens yeah that's the can.
1: bipartisan white whale of washington the last decade
2: infrastructure everyone talks about yeah, it. everyone that, points to it. it never happens but look at prescription drugs again that that package of bills came out of committee unanimously even in these toxic times that can happen if you roll up your sleeves. Just like USMCA, there's a template for how to get it done. Now, whether or not it'll happen, hopefully we'll we'll you know keep working at it.
1: You talk to the president with some frequency. I've gotten to know him somewhat well over the years. He has said in public something I believe is fundamentally true. He likes to fight. He doesn't have anyone to fight with right now. When impeachment's over, there's not going to be that specter of something haunting him, chasing him, like... The Mueller investigation was like impeachment was. How is President Trump going to function in a world where there's no visible enemy or investigation well, driving him nuts or motivating it, him or giving him <laughs> greater energy?
2: Because, you know, he says it publicly. It does. Uh, he like he, he comes from the the tough world in New York real estate. I mean, that's that's the world he grew up in. And Louisiana Louisiana been very successful at Louisiana is tougher than that. Look, 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 is tougher I've than been bare knuckle politics in Louisiana, too. And, you know, but you can also work with people. But if you don't think this this campaign is going to be tough, there are there are a handful at least of Democrats that are still trying to to take him out in the Democrat primaries. Uh, there are more Democrats talking to get it. John Kerry, who was a surrogate for Joe Biden, was at an event in Iowa trying to talk himself into getting back in the race. So look, th- there are there are going to be a lot of battles. But he's also shown a willingness to work with people even in the midst of that. So forty five seconds. Let's we're go gonna straight. Great, we're going to have a great fight go, in let's, November. Let's go
1: straight to Iowa. You were there with the uh, Trump team, nearly 80 surrogates, kind of a overkill, maybe. Uh, your observation's not on what you saw with the president, we'll get to that in a second, but what you didn't see in terms of results from the Democratic side.
2: Yeah, what an embarrassment. And and again, these people want to run the country. They can't even run an election with less than 200,000 people voting to get results to people. And by the way, Iowans know how to count. They've been counting for over 150 years uh, in these caucuses. And so if you look at what happened, uh, you know, it's on full display how incompetent they are when their party said, we're going to develop an app to make it work better you know we, we counting votes usually within an hour donald trump by the way had his results 97 percent, and that, those results came in within an hour on the republican side the democrats go do this fancy app and they still 48 hours later still don't know who won that's, uh, that's the voice of steve
1: scalise a lunch has arrived we're Look happy that we're happy that that's happened we're at matchbox stay tuned for segment four of the takeout in just a second
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: I still think that New Hampshire and Iowa should not have a lock on going first. I feel it more now than I have ever felt. I think this is a time that we need to have More diverse states participating. I think that every state around the country should have the opportunity. That's the voice
1: of Debbie Dingell, Michigan Democrat, who appeared on the show on January 17th. And if she was in favor of Iowa not going first on January 17th, I'm quite confident she's even more in favor of Iowa not going first now, considering the debacle of the Iowa Democratic caucuses that we were referring to before we went to break. Steve Scalise, do you have a dog in that hunt? Do you care who goes first? Uh, do you think a regional primary where this rotates and the country gets a different chance to go first is a better idea, or do you care one way or the other?
2: I really don't have a dog in the hunt. I mean, look, somebody's got to do the job of the, the close, intense betting, and Iowans have done it for a long time where they literally get up close and personal, and, you know, you're going to high school gyms. It's a different conversation than if you're at a, you know, multi-thousand-seat arena. And so you've got to be, as a candidate, be able to do both, and, uh, and somebody's going to do it. I know every state, every now and then there's a fight for who's going to go first, but, uh, look, if, if they're complaining because they couldn't figure out how to count votes, if you can't count votes in Iowa, you're not going to be able to count votes in you know, Michigan or any other state. Will there uh, ever be how about you be competent? Just do your job.
1: Will there ever be a Steve Scalise for president campaign?
2: <laughs> no. I, uh, I ran for student body president at LSU. I think it's the, uh, the only race I lost, but uh, <laughs> I learned a lot from that, though, and I, uh, I've, I've definitely enjoyed So Steve Scalise will never run for president? I, look, I'm going to run on the. It's going to be the major Garrett Steve Scalise ticket. How about that? <laughs> Doomed to failure from it will, its very inception. It will be one of the funnest campaigns. Well, we'll it might a be fun. fun Doomed own. to failure,
1: but fun all the way around, <laughs> no doubt, folks. Um, when I was in Iowa, uh, setting aside the uh, inability to count, the entrance polls did indicate that healthcare was the dominant issue, but number two, and I, for the very first time, climate change. Uh, that is a big issue for Democrats. Uh, two leading uh, Democrats seeking the presidential nomination, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, uh, not only have induced, uh, endorsed the Green New Deal, but they both want to ban fracking. And fracking is a new method of oil and natural gas exploration. It has dramatically increased domestic production of both fossil fuels revolutionized the industry in certain parts of our country Pennsylvania certain parts of Texas I'm not sure if it's big in Louisiana or not but I want your
2: opinion on both well you know if you look at what America's done this energy revolution it's transformed our economy but it's also helped us help our friends all around the world you want to talk about standing up to Russia nothing helps our allies around the world stand up to Russia more than us selling them our natural gas instead of them having to get it from Russia who by the way always puts strings attached so it's been great for our economy But this is what's interesting when you talk about something like the Green New Deal. If you're concerned about carbon emissions, uh, we actually, through our energy efficiency in America and our innovation, we have reduced carbon emissions. And you look at these countries like in Europe, you know, all the signers of the the Paris Accord, not one of those European countries is in compliance with the Paris Accord. So the hypocrisy of these folks that say ship jobs to China and India who emit five times more carbon to make the same stuff that we make in America because we actually have good standards— why, if they really believed in that, why is Elizabeth Warren and all these other, you know, uh, cli- you know, climate change and, and Green New Deal folks, why are they flying around on private planes while they're telling you not to fly around on planes? There's no fracking for you, but they're driving around in cars fueled by gasoline. So, you know, live by it if you really believe in it. But if you want to wreck our economy, those jobs will go to countries that emit more carbon, and then you will have made matters worse. Is there a actual
1: Threat to Louisiana or any coastal community, in your opinion, from climate change?
2: No, and in fact, if no, you look no at threat. why our coast is eroding, no well, Louisiana's no coast is eroding because we hardened off and levied the Mississippi River that used to distribute silt from all. If you look at the entire Chafalaya, uh, Chafalaya Basin uh, all, all along South Louisiana, that was built because the Mississippi River used to move around and disperse all this sediment, and then we for a lot of good reasons, shipping, commerce throughout the, the, the nation, we put levees throughout the Mississippi River and it no longer distributes that sediment. So we're working in Louisiana to rebuild our coast and we're funding it, get this, by revenues generated from drilling off of our coast. That money, billions of dollars, is now being used to rebuild land in Louisiana that was lost due to coastal erosion from uh, losing all that sediment that the Mississippi River used to distribute. Should carbon be taxed in any way, shape, or form? No. Because? It would wreck our economy. And you look in the New England states right now. Because New York won't even allow a pipeline to go through and bring that low-cost energy from states like Pennsylvania into the New England states, they're paying dramatically more for their energy. And they're getting it from Russia and other countries that don't have the good environmental standards we have. So again, there's a cost to all of this. If you want to emit more carbon pass the Green New Deal, China would love our jobs. And by the way, go look at China's environmental standards compared to ours.
1: And when you are accused and those Republicans who speak, as you just have on this issue of being head in the sand, non-scientific and deniers of climate change, you say what? I'm backing
2: this with science. Go look at the data. 10,000 years ago when you had no combustion engine, uh, we had hotter temperatures in the Earth. The Earth's temperature goes up and down. Make no mistake about it. It's called Mother Nature. It's always happened throughout time, and it'll continue to happen. To say, oh, we we have hurricanes now because man is doing things. Man was not doing those things, and we had hurricanes. Uh, This idea that there can be some simple answer, that gee whiz, we won't have hurricanes or earthquakes if we just change our lifestyle in a way that literally would wreck our economy. And again... We would emit more carbon in the Earth's atmosphere if we passed something like the Green New Deal or a carbon tax, because those jobs would go to other countries. Who they even AOC will acknowledge, China is Alexandria exempt from all Ocasio of these. Cortes, that's right. Yes. That's right. She she would exempt. You know, the Paris Accord exempts uh, China for till 2030. They don't even have to comply with this stuff, and they emit more carbon already.
1: And to the larger question
2: of I'm the try, pe- I'm going to try to elegantly eat a cheeseburger I, in front of you. I, as you I, I give you mad props. Salad.
1: I give you mad props because not everyone will dive into their food on this show as robustly <laughs> as you have. And I give you mad props I'm for that. I'm from New Orleans. I love food. Exactly. You know, food. This is good food. Good exactly. Well, conceptually. Should the United States be a leader in this dialogue? There is a sentiment that because the United States pulled out of the Paris Accord, it's absent from this conversation and therefore the world will not follow our lead and that reduces the ability of the world to
2: confront this issue. Well, I think what America can continue to do is actually lead, not in words that are followed up with hollow actions, but real actions, what we've done through American innovation and our technology, we've reduced carbon emissions. And ultimately we've also helped create Lower-cost energy, which helps people afford to—I mean, there are people who die in cold winters because they can't heat their homes. It actually happens. If you have lower-cost energy, you have people able to heat their homes. If you look at what we're able to do to manufacture more things in America, it's not just good for our economy and, and we're bringing millions of jobs back home, but because we have really good environmental standards. And I know a lot of people like to just knock America. Go look at how they do it in other countries. Go to Brazil and show me how much carbon they emit to make the same steel that we make in America. It's better for the environment to make it here. It's going to be made somewhere. So again, hide your head in the sand and say, oh, nobody will make that steel. Somebody's going to make it. If it's not made in America, it will be made in a place that probably emits four or five times more carbon than what we do.
1: So I hear you saying, thank goodness for those radical environmental lefties of the 70s who created the environmental regulatory regime we now live under now.
2: Well, we have, look, we have good standards. And again, it's, <laughs> it's American from? technology. Where, from? Where did the technology that taught us how to produce energy, how to drill uh, and frack? and do things in an environmentally friendly way, uh, that's what has created this great economic renaissance in America. It's what is allowing us to sell energy to our friends around the world. So now, if you're in Japan, you can get your energy from America. If you're in Eastern Europe, where Russia is the only game in town for so long, and when you take their energy, you have to take their policies as well that are really bad, you don't have to buy their, uh, the energy from Russia anymore.
1: That's Voices Steve Scalise. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to The Takeout with Major Garrett. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. Our guest, Steve Scalise, House Minority Whip. That means he's the number two most important Republican in the House of Representatives. We started our conversation, Steve, because I want to check in on your health and your mobility and your rehab and all that sort of stuff. You mentioned in that conversation that according to those who treated you and saved you, you were minutes from death. How aware of that were you at the time, and how has that, if at all, changed your life in terms of introspection about the meaning of life and the frailty of it?
2: Yeah, um... You know, I, and initially, right after I was shot, I didn't realize fully what had happened. I, my, I went down. I, I, My legs gave out. So I knew I was hit then because I could hear more gunshots. It didn't feel the kind of pain you would feel knowing how badly I was injured. And I started crawling away. And when, uh, you know, when, when everything gave out, I just started praying. I, I really did put it in God's hands. Uh, I, I started feeling weaker. I was really uh kind of feeling dehydrated so i got some some gatorade and then uh i'm being worked on and after a while i started wondering <laughs> is somebody going to take me to the hospital because i i'm starting to feel my body shut down and and i did get a little bit concerned then um when when i felt like okay i'm i'm feeling this thing slipping away and then i went life out. life life slipping away and i called my wife at that moment and uh left her a message it was uh you know, voicemail. It was early in the morning in New Orleans. I uh, barred somebody else's phone, and um, you know, left a message. You wouldn't want to have to think you'd have to leave. And uh, I woke up three days later, and that's when I really found out how close I was to death, how uh, you know how bad things were. And I didn't realize again right after the shooting. I had no idea what was going on inside of me and just how bad my ur- my or- internal organs were. Were shredded. Uh, the bullet broke into over 100 pieces, and so uh, it did a lot of internal damage. And, and my trauma surgeons had a lot of work to do. And, and they shared with me in the weeks later what, what had really gone on. I would asked them. I wanted to know how bad it was. And, you know, my trauma surgeon said it was maybe a minute. Uh, and he said there were a few times that night, the first night, that he wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And, uh, you know, it definitely puts things into perspective. And, uh, you know, it, it, it reminded me of what's important in life. And, uh, like, I've got a young family. I've got a wonderful family. I wanted to see my kids again. I wanted to see my wife. And, uh, you know, and I was able to do all that. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be alive.
1: I'm gathering that was a goodbye call message that you yeah. left. How, how does one conceive of t- doing that? How, 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 how do you how find my, those words?
2: You just, you know, you just say what's in your heart. And it was, you know, it was not a long call because I... Again, I'm 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 feeling things shut down, and so I just wanted to to share some things with her, and uh, you know, it, luckily it didn't happen that way, but uh, it, uh, it it could have gone the other way. So,
1: journalism is the process of archiving things. Does she save it, or did she not want to save it?
2: She, you know, I think she saved it. She she doesn't talk about it, and uh, neither do I because. You know, it was a conversation between she and I, and luckily she didn't hear it for a few days because, as you can imagine, things were chaotic for her. She had to fly into D.C. from New Orleans not knowing if her husband was going to be alive when she landed. And uh, and so the first few days were a whirlwind, and then she, she was kind of catching up on things, and that's when she came across the message. And I remember it was a few days after. I didn't even bring it up to her. She brought it up to me, and she's like, I just listened to your voicemail.
1: I want to talk to you qu- quickly about health care. The president brought it up in the State of the Union Um It sounds to me that uh, on this issue, whoever the nominee is, if the nominee of the Democratic Party endorses or comes close to endorsing Medicare for all, Republicans will say, no, no, we need to keep things as they are. We can't go down this dangerous route of government-run health insurance. Well, things as they are is defined principally by the Affordable Care Act. So will Republicans, in a great display of irony, in 2020 be defending things as they are, which is the very Affordable Care Act that they spent years and years trying to Dismantle?
2: No, and I, I wouldn't defend things as they are because they're still very broken. In fact, the biggest issue right now is, is the fact that costs are, are too high and uh, costs continue to go up. Uh, we talked earlier about prescription drugs, and they're very tangible and bipartisan things that we can do to lower prescription drug costs. And I hope we pursue that. But then if you look at the overall cost of healthcare, we've got to have price transparency. Nobody can tell you what things cost. If you have insurance, it costs one thing. If you're paying in cash, it's another. If you're on Medicare or Medicaid, it's different. Uh, We've got to break through that. I think things like health savings accounts are incredibly innovative at giving people real power at controlling their own health care decisions. We've got to make sure pre-existing conditions are protected. The president talked about that. There are more innovative ways to do it than Obamacare. Well, but the thing is, under under Obamacare, what it did is say, nobody can rate people based on risk, but if you have a pre-existing condition now... You're already paying too much, and so the answer in Obamacare was make everybody else pay that higher price. What we did in in a different approach that we've taken, and the president likes this idea, is by funding high-risk pools. High-risk pools are a way of saying, if somebody with a pre-existing condition, their cost of care might cost more, but if we subsidize some of that premium at the federal level, acknowledging that this is a major cost to everybody and it's not fair that... You're, you're going to have to pay more because of something that happened to you that you had no control over. If the federal government had a, that subsidy, uh, which is what we did with the high-risk pools, it actually lowers everybody else's premiums, including the people with pre-existing condition. So it's a totally different way to approach it. And then you look at Medicaid block granting Medicaid to the states is something that we've tried to do. Governors, by the way, most governors have asked for it. President Trump recently took some executive action to give states the ability, just what's wrong with giving states the flexibility to say if you can run your Medicaid program for low-income people better and smarter than Washington. And many states would tell you at a lower cost. Why shouldn't you be able to do that? And right now you have this one-size-fits-all program out of Washington that's not working for low-income people. Those are innovative things that we should and ought to do, not accepting the status quo because the status quo doesn't work, but not going into government-run healthcare like Medicare for All, where you literally ban private insurance, which works well for over 160 million people.
1: So we have three threshold questions. Every single guest on this wonderful program have been asked and answered, and our audience loves the answers because they reveal a little bit about who's been at the microphone and at the table. So in no particular order, most influential book in your life? Your favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're on a long flight or a long drive,
2: what kind of music,
1: artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to?
2: Wow. Um, You know, the the book that really fires me up the most is a book called Medal of Honor, and it's a story of Medal of Honor recipients. And you want to talk about the greatness of our country. These are people, you know, I've I've met some of these folks, and they're they're just the the heroes beyond heroes. The kid who faked his birth certificate to, to be eligible to fight in World War II. Uh, a guy who jumped on a grenade to save everybody else, thinking he was going to die, and he lived through it, and he saved everybody else in, in his platoon. Those kind of stories are just, anybody can read that. You're, you're at a down moment. Anybody will be fired up. You read that book.
1: Quick commercial. Uh, go back through our archives, ladies and gentlemen, uh, takeoutpodcast.com. You'll find an hour-long conversation with our extraordinary national security correspondent, David Martin, about recipients of the Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, favorite movie?
2: Um, Apollo 13 great movie that is a great movie and, absolutely uh, great it, movie no reason they should have made it back alive and every you know failure's not an option yep. was the, the the theme of that movie of Houston we have a, we're a problem we're not going to let Houston we have a problem <laughs> And they said we're not nobody. Everybody took ownership and said we're going to fix this and we're going to bring them back home. We are not going to let them die up there. And and, and we're going to MacGyver this true. thing and, and we're going to figure duct it out. Tape. Literally, you know, they, the answer to everything <laughs> is duct tape, right, Major? And they they figured it out and they tried and tried and tried. And I mean, just a great uplifting story, you know. And I love movies that are uplifting are always fun. But when it's true, it's a true story and it's something that the whole country was united around it. And against all odds and all of that. And we did it. And we pulled it off and it, and it really did happen. Again, to remind people, you know, we all face adversity. You need examples like that so that you can Don't quit. Don't ever give up. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs would, right. would not even made it to the Super Bowl. Oh, geez, we're down by 20 points again. You know, Let's what are we going to do? Right. Ten points. We give up. You know, you never give up. And there, there are so many good examples like that. So that's, that's something Music that I, I love. Music in Steve Scalise's wow. head. I'm an '80s guy by uh, by nature, okay. so you know I I can so listen. Like Durant, Durant, I love the '80s or, or like the you know, cars, know I, I, the the Police, cars, uh, U2, U2. You, um, you know now look every now and then I'll still li- listen to some 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 good Fats Domino. I got to meet Fats Dominoes from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. That's still great classic music. Right. So, uh, you know, and then Bedlin Ezra, I went to school with those guys at LSU. So, you know, m- maybe not as many of your your listeners heard heard of them, but the great great band from uh, from the uh, the eighties and nineties. Before
1: I go, I want you to needle Jim Jordan about this. He was on nah. the show last week. His answer was Karen Carpenter.
2: <laughs> I guess it, Yanni folks. was already taken, but
1: uh, look, yeah. that's it, folks. Stay great stuff. For, well, no, no, nothing to stay tuned We're done. We're
0: out. <laughs> We're
2: going to have more lunch. We can See finish this great lunch. That's right. All right, man.
0: For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. If you
1: like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Look around. You can find cars
0: like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of the Money Watch Podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a
2: show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life.